your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday on Lacrosse Talk PM. Grand Bill's in the studio. I'm quarantined on the other side of the building. Facebook Live should be up. You can also listen on the Wisdom app or on the radio, that radio, which I heard FM was a little wonky earlier today, but our engineers are on it, so hopefully it's fixed. Those guys are good, so I'm pretty sure it's fixed. 608-785-7914, the Sugarloaf Ford Talk and Text Line. Pretty informative show. I I don't know how much fun we're going to have. We could try to have some fun with Ron Kind coming on at 515. I I sent his secretary a email just saying hey what do you what do you think what what all the what's all the most important things that that's going you know on with Ron Kine and the congress and and then i said if nothing else we'll just talk about alexandria ocasio cortez and see if he's met her and and we'll see she's the most popular congressman maybe he's jealous about that uh after that after the the bottom half of the show i should say uh, jen rambalski lacrosse county health department director it's going to be on with us. They do their, well, three times a, a week meeting today. They had that meeting. It's on the Facebook page as well, the 1410 WIZM Facebook page, if you want to watch that meeting. A little COVID update I don't have pulled up, but I can tell you, Lacrosse County, no new cases. Again, the fifth straight day that there haven't been any new cases in the county, which is great. But one thing I might want to ask Jen when she comes on at 5.35 is the county, what we're doing in Lacrosse County, similar to what's going on in Winona County where they had 21 total cases. So I don't know how much Lacrosse and Winona are communicating with each other, and it's just happened today. So, you know, maybe she heard that news as we all did and, and probably makes a phone call you know, later in the day or, or maybe tomorrow just to let them get things figured out. And then maybe, oh, yeah, the county surrounding here will bug you later about that. But, yeah, Winona County had 21 new cases today. And it seems that maybe they, they just went to some nursing homes or something like that. It's kind of kind of un- uh, kind of out of the ordinary. But did they go to some nursing homes and there were a bunch of people in, in one facility or a couple, couple of facilities where they weren't testing and then they finally did test and I guess some of these people were asymptomatic? Not exactly clear on that, but it's an outlier, right? Like you don't just get 21 cases in a county like Winona unless something uh, something strange happened or, or maybe they just weren't reporting some cases and they all came to light. Uh, and one day, it's hard to say. Um, statewide, though, in Minnesota, eight new deaths today. It's always a weird thing to just uh, deaths. It's a number. It's a stat. But I, I'll just I'm going to say it like kind of robotic, and I, I'm trying not to be sensitive, insensitive about it. But eight new deaths, 114 new cases. The interesting number here too in Minnesota, eight new deaths a lot for Minnesota. Minnesota and Milwaukee are very similar. Milwaukee County. But uh, 20 more hospitalizations, but 18 of those hospitalizations went to the ICU, intensive care unit. So um, that's a little, I don't know if that's out of the ordinary, but that's a a number that jumps out at me. 18 out of 20 hospitalizations today in Minnesota all went to the ICU. Uh, Minnesota now has 87 total deaths, 1,800 cases. And if you, in just comparing to Milwaukee County, Milwaukee County, two more deaths today. They're number 99. So 99 deaths in Milwaukee County, 87 in Minnesota, and uh, 60 more cases in 
Minnesota, where, what did I just say, Wisconsin had 166 new cases in Wisconsin. So the whole state of, well, in, in Wisconsin, I'm getting, I'm crossing up numbers here. But anyway, Milwaukee, 60 new cases. They have 1,937 cases now. Uh, around the area, a little bit better. Vernon County, zero. They have zero cases in Vernon County. Trempolo and Houston counties, right around here, uh, one case each. But the uh, United States has the most deaths, 24,429, has the most cases, 601,472 of any country. United States, uh, quote-unquote, winning there. Uh, worldwide death toll, 132,276 of 2 million cases. And 500,000 of those have recovered. So a quarter, a quarter of those recovered worldwide, which is different than the United States. 601,000 cases in the U.S., 43,000 have recovered. Grant, can you tell that I'm like a, a sports geek and I'm just doing doing numbers and um, really no really no conversation to go here, but I'm just throwing numbers, which which probably hits people a little bit uh, strangely. Um, all right. So, you sound like an analytics guy to me. That's what you sound like is you're getting caught up in the stats and it's all numbers, and but, but yeah. that's kind of how you have to approach this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm trying to analyze the numbers a little bit. And, and the Milwaukee-Minnesota thing is, is, is a weird comparison uh, how is, because it's not like Minnesota doesn't have a giant city. They have the Twin Cities. Why, yeah. isn't, why aren't cases there more uh, similar to that of you know, Milwaukee? And maybe if I, if I dug down, I guess I haven't – I probably should look more closely at the, the St. Paul and Minneapolis numbers because I, now that I think about it, they probably have 90% of Minnesota's numbers. Yeah. I guess I probably should look at that. I was texting with a family member who is a nurse, an ICU nurse in, um, at Abbott Northwestern in the cities. And she said it's not expected to peak there until May or June. So they're 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 ready for it, but she doesn't seem to think that is that it's gotten as bad as it's going to get yet. That's going to come in the next month or two. Yeah, and the whole idea is the the, the idea of like opening businesses or getting back to normal is all over the place. And I would just I would just say have your expectations that we're not going to get back to normal all summer. Those would be the expectations. I think uh, Governor Tony Evers yesterday said, hey, it's going to be another month. Yeah. And he's just like baby stepping us to because in another month, he's going to say it's going to be another month. Yeah. And until we have a vaccine, until we have treatments, we don't have treatments yet uh, until we have like major treatments. And even before that, like once we have a vaccine and treatments, we can start to, OK, we're going to get over the, the hump here and, and start to fight this thing off. But. Man, we just need to ramp up testing. We don't even have ample testing. Winona County is complaining about testing. Not complaining, but their their media release today was just about not having enough supplies to test. And maybe that was why they had 21 new cases today because they're like, oh, we got some testing. We're going to go to this facility now that we have extra tests. And boom, they get a nursing home with 21 cases. I'm not saying it was one nursing home, but I'm saying maybe they got more tests. And maybe General Balski has a little bit of an update there. We probably could have... Uh, hunted down the Winona County Health Director, but at this point, Ron Kine, General Balski, there's only enough time of the day. And speaking of that, we're going to go to news so we can bring back Ron Kind uh, right after the news. We'll be back right here on Wisdom. <laughs> Congressman Ron Kind, I'm with us. If you guys want to shoot a text, Grant and myself will try to try to get those to to Congressman Kind. 608-785-7914, Sugarloaf Ford, talk and text line. How's it going, Ron? Hey, it's great, Rick, and glad to be with you. This is the coolest program on the air, so I'm honored to be with you today. <laughs> the cool in the world? It's the coolest one. Yeah, well, yeah, let's call it the Cooley region for starters. <laughs> okay. So we got to give you some 
goals to shoot for here. Um, and and uh, I, I have I have a whole bunch of like farming questions for you that are oh, yeah. not up my alley, but uh, Caitlin in a, in our newsroom has given me this list of farming questions, so I want to get to those. But I also want sure. to ask you, like, how is congressman life in in the terms of social distancing? Are you are, is it a lot different in terms of like you know doing stuff in Congress as opposed to your regular day to day life? Yeah, you know, every day is a new adventure. And and listen, we're all being asked to do uncomfortable things with social distancing. We are, uh, by our nature, social creatures. We like human interaction and getting out and about. And right now, given the virus in our lives, we just can't do that. So we've had to adjust a lot of video conferencing, teleconferencing, a lot of legislating on the phone with my colleagues throughout the country since we're not congregating in Washington these de- uh, these days. And there are challenges, but it's also opened up some new opportunities for us to be able to congregate uh, online, uh, Zoom is probably one of the most popular apps uh, in the country today. So, But just trying to stay responsive and, and listening to people throughout the district and the challenges that we have back home here. Yeah, and, and spe- speaking of back home and the challenges, what do you think would just, you know, like when you look at our area, boom, this is maybe the top two or three things that are like the most impacted right now by this. And, you know, like you could say farming industry, I don't know, where, what do you think? Well, first of all, I'm so impressed what I'm seeing locally here, the type of collaboration, the corroboration, the coordination that's happening from our public health to health care providers, uh, emergency management to uh, first responders. It's been unbelievable, all hands on deck, and it's exactly what we need to be doing to get through it right now. But listen, we, we put the economy into a self-imposed coma because of this virus, and so all the businesses, large and small, are getting hit right now. Uh, public budgets are getting hit right now. Even our health care providers who stopped doing elective procedures and services, their revenues have dropped off the cliff too because they're just not doing as much that normally would bring in revenue. So this is across the board, uh, and we've never been through something like this uh, but I've been encouraged by the community response, the social distancing, the hand washing, the uh, uh, coughing in your elbow. This stuff is working. It really is. And we just have to keep, our, uh, uh, keep the pedal down as we try to defeat this virus. Is there any talk in Congress, you know, the $1,200 checks? I know a couple of people have started to see those come in their bank accounts. Um, but, I, but I'm reading, uh, you know, other countries are doing things differently. The U.K., 80% of workers' salaries are being paid. Denmark, 75%. Uh, Canada, $2,000 a month. Australia, $1,000 a month. Uh, we get a one-time $1,200 check. Is there any talk of, 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 of upping that or, or adding another check or maybe doing a monthly thing or I- anything? Yeah, well, first of all, those $1,200 rebate checks are going out the door right now. Hopefully everyone's signed up with direct deposit with the IRS, irs.gov, if you haven't. That way the money gets in your account a lot quicker. But that's not all that we're doing, and that is tax-free. There's no tax liability attached to these rebate checks. But we're also trying to pick up the small business payrolls over the next couple of months so that they can retain their workforce, and all that will be covered uh, along with utilities and any rent or mortgage expenses that they – and that's a way of trying to retain the workforce with their current employers. Small businesses with 500 or fewer employees qualify for this program. I worked hard to make sure our family farmers also qualified uh, for the program. My guess is we're going to have to appropriate more money in that fund and extend that date out further as uh, the facts dictate. So that's another thing we're trying to do to step in and help. Plus, 
paid sick leave. We don't have a national paid sick leave policy. We do right now for 14 days, plus paid family and medical leave. We've never had that on a national level. We do for this crisis. And I think that's going to open up a broader conversation of how we can make work more family-friendly uh, in light of the health care challenges that most families encounter from time to time and make it easy for people to participate while still uh, upholding their family obligations through all this. When you talk about, you know, we don't have paid sick leave and now, and now we do, is there a conversation here to have at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel where, you know what, maybe we should just leave this paid sick leave in for everybody to have uh, permanently? Well, I think that is something that we're going to have to look at. How do we modernize the workforce and the needs of families here in the 21st century? Because even before the virus hit, uh, we were in desperate need of more workers. Uh, That was the number one complaint I heard from businesses, large and small. And when I say we don't have uh, a national paid sick leave, uh, I also don't want to ignore the fact that many businesses were doing this. They were offering some paid sick leave. They were offering some paid family medical leave. But it wasn't universal, and it wasn't required. And that's something I think we have to look at, because we're one of the last developed nations in the entire world that doesn't do that. And if we're going to be able to re- attract the type of workers we need to meet our growth demands, we've got to make it a little bit easier, I think, for them to participate in the workforce when you have a sick child or if you happen to get sick yourself rather than fear of just losing your job at that point. Yeah, I think well, one of the, th- the good things that might come from this pandemic is the opening up of a conversation like, you know, paid sick leave, uh, even like vacation, uh, universal health care and-, and stuff like that. Um, when when you when you I know Wisconsin passed some legislation there today and um, I know the Congress passed legislation. We're, we're always talking about helping the frontline workers, health care workers, first responders, stuff like that. But I go to the store every, you know, not every day, but when I go to the store, there's, you know, I often, I'm, I'm trying to awkwardly thank the cashiers and the people stocking shelves for, for working and the people, at, you know, quick trips around here. Um, is there, is there any conversations going on about giving them, and I know some companies are doing this, giving them like some kind of hazard pay, some kind of like $2 an hour raise, you know, you know, throughout the country for people that have to work during this pandemic. Yeah, you know, the short answer is yes, those conversations are happening. Will it materialize? That's another matter. But I think it is justified because talk about unsung heroes in our own community, those who are showing up at the grocery stores and keeping them stocked and, 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 and at the retail uh, markets, truck drivers, uh, as you mentioned, our first responders who are out there, our healthcare workers on the front lines being exposed to this virus every day in the course of their job. So I'd hope there'd be some recognition and some bonus payment in that regard, but whether we can actually accomplish it is another matter. Um, okay, so uh, getting to the the farming questions, Ron, uh, U.S. Congressman Ron Kine on with us. Uh, let's see, let's go to this first one. Ask him, I'm just going to read Caitlin's questions. Ask him about <laughs> reopening the dairy margin coverage program. It's basically pricing insurance for farmers. A lot of farmers didn't sign up for this year. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. What do, what do you think about the dairy margin coverage program? Well, Rick, this is very uh, timely because actually tomorrow I'm going to be holding a a video press conference about my family farm rescue plan, and part of that is reopening the dairy margin protection program so farmers who didn't sign up for the milk insurance coverage can can do so now. Uh, The agriculture secretary already has this authority. He should implement it along with commodity surplus buy-up programs. Nothing is more heartbreaking than seeing milk milk, uh, being destroyed or other commodities uh, being destroyed when we have huge long lines at food banks throughout the country. So there has to be a better coordination of buying up excess surplus 
in the commodity market and getting that delivered to our food banks and to new food banks that the federal government will have to stand up in the food deserts that we have throughout our state and our country where there aren't food banks that, that exist. I'd also uh, like to see a clear guidance on family farmers participating in the Paycheck Protection Program and the Emergency Direct Grant Program that I think they should qualify for. And then we did appropriate another $14 billion to USDA on farm grant payments, something that they were using in the past in light of the trade war to help family farmers impacted by the retaliation with the tit-for-tat trade war. You know, that money needs to get out the door uh, right away. And then finally, you know, I'm working with the president's trade team and figuring out how we can end the trade war and increase agriculture exports because food demand globally is on the rise. That, too, can help clear the excess surplus that we have domestically, which is driving down prices and forcing family farmers out of business and into bankruptcy. So there's a list of things that we can do. The USDA has most of this authority and the resources. We need them to start implementing it right away because there's a real crisis uh, in farm country right now. And I certainly don't want to wake up in a country where we are completely dependent on a few but very large agribusinesses for all our food needs. That's not the food security system that we need as a country. And it's a real crisis moment right now. Is the USDA being receptive to requests of buying milk? A lot of people are wondering why it seems like we're not hearing anything back about those requests while farmers, I think 20 states, just dumping their milk, right? They, uh, it yeah. seems crazy. Well, and it's such a psychological blow. These farmers do not want to destroy the product they work hard to produce, and milk dumping right now is a kick in the pants. Other commodities are being destroyed because there's no market right now, and there's no reason. Uh, With greater coordination at the federal level, working with our states and the producers to establish that supply chain to get the food where it's needed, nutrition programs, I mean, the school lunch program that is still being operated right now, there's no reason we can't be purchasing more dairy products uh, for that and getting it to the food banks and then standing up more food banks where it's needed throughout our state and our country. And it's a win-win. It would be a win for the farmers by establishing a market that's collapsing on them right now, but also a win in, in meeting the food needs that so many Americans have right now. Um, and then last thing, uh, you know, I, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but meat processing plants, you know, someone gets the virus and then the whole plant goes down. Uh, Wisconsin's largest pork producers are talking about euthanizing pigs because they can't get them to the market. I don't know if that's because there's no workers to, to do this or, you know, but like this is, this is becoming a problem. And maybe down the road, we're going to start seeing, I don't know, meat shortages. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, I've been on the phone with our uh, pork producers here in the state, our cattlemen, too, because uh, their market is collapsing, and it's pretty much across the board right now. But, yeah, it just shows uh, the difficulty with uh, production chain, uh, you know, supply lines and, and getting that to market. Uh, we have to maintain that. Uh, we can't start running into food shortages. They're saying right now we got enough in stock where we don't have to d- worry about it. We're not encouraging a run on the stores uh, and the grocery shelves. But obviously when the virus hits some meatpacking plants, as it has now in South Dakota and other places, it- it's certainly going to have an impact on production and yeah. what's available. So we just need to stay ahead of that curve right now and make sure that they're qualifying for these programs I just described for the for the help and assistance that they need right now. I get the idea that we have to, I, I don't like the idea, but I get the idea that we have to dump milk because it, we can't just store it forever. Milk expires, milk just, you know, whatever. It's it, it's not getting produced into, you know, drinkable milk. But the idea of euthanizing pigs, can't we just keep the pigs around a little bit longer? Why are we euthanizing them? 
Well, they're expensive to maintain. They eat a lot, uh, and there's maintenance costs that's involved with it as well. But listen, I, I haven't met a producer yet that likes that option. They'd much rather be able to sell into a healthy market that gives them a decent price for their hard work. But when that collapses, as it is right now, I believe it is the role of government to help try to step in to stabilize and and create some artificial market measures so that they can sell the product and it doesn't go to waste, especially given the food needs that exist right now. We should be able to connect those dots, and we're working closely with the USDA to come up with plans and procedures to do just that. I think we could also, maybe maybe you guys in Congress can do like an Adopt-A-Pig Foundation, something like that. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Uh, just don't name them because then you get really personally attached to them and they're hard to give up at that point. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're open to all ideas right now. Yeah, so the grocery keep them coming, stores, Rick. The grocery store shelves would really be empty then if we all had to feed a pig individually. <laughs> um, last thing, and this is just like I'm just doing headline porn here. Uh, the House will not return to Washington until May 4th unless it passes a, an emergency bill. So that makes it sound like you guys aren't just going to work. You're not working till May 4th. What are you guys doing from now until May 4th? Well, we are working. We're working uh, telework like everyone else. Uh, we are talking to each other every day. We have conferences, uh, members of Congress, as we negotiate and put these packages together. And then a lot of work back home here. I'm constantly in daily touch with our health care providers, our public health officials, making sure we're meeting the needs of personal protection equipment, ventilators, testing equipment, uh, trying to get those things out and guard against an uptick in the virus in our own communities and responding to the needs of people right now. Those having problems with unemployment insurance benefits or getting their rebate checks or figuring out how to qualify for these paycheck protection programs through the SBA, it is busy. It's it's, it's all hands on deck and it's pretty much 24-7 too. As this paycheck protection program was being rolled out, I was getting calls at 2, 3, 4 in the morning from bank uh, CEOs and credit union CEOs in the area asking for further clarification and guidance so they can work with their customers and get this money out the door uh, as soon as possible. So we just need to stay responsive uh, to the people back home and find out where the soft spots are so we know how to correct it. All right. Thanks, Congressman Kine. And now this thing you're doing tomorrow, is this for media? And then we got to tell everybody else what or can people tune into this? Yeah, you know, we're doing a video conference, I think like at 12.15 or 12.30 uh, yep. tomorrow or so, where I'm yep. talking about the Family Farm Rescue Plan. And and in the meantime, we're still taking a lot of calls from family farmers, farm groups, in regards to what they're seeing and, and what help they need. And we've we got to be responsive to this right now. We spent a lot of years building up a dairy industry here in the state. I hate to see it all go away because of, uh, of this virus. All right. Thanks, Kine. All right. Thanks, Rick. Stay healthy. You too. All right. That was Congressman Ron Kine. Next up, Jen Rimbalski, the La Crosse County Health Department, is going to talk with us. All right. Welcome back to La Crosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914, the Sugarloaf Ford Talk and Text Line. Jen Rimbalski, La Crosse County Health Director, on the phone with us. How's it going, Jen? Oh man, it's going great, right? <laughs> it is. I guess it is. I guess if you, it's busy. Well, I'm not gonna lie, it's busy. If you want to go, if you want to look at La Crosse County and, and COVID numbers, it is kind of going great, right? Like you have 26. You're no right. New, no new cases since last Friday. Yeah, that is really good news. And so um, I think right now we're trying to use this quick little break to sort of look forward and think about 
um, what the next phases are and hope that, um, you know, we, the contact tracing and all the good social um, distancing and all the good things that our community is doing to help keep case numbers down, um, let, let's use this time to think about, like, what the next phase is and how we can be ready for that. Yeah, I think the way the way people maybe around here start talking because we haven't had a new case in La Crosse County. Houston County has had one. Vernon County, I think, is at zero. Trempolo County is at one. So everybody around here, we, what are we doing? Why are we social distancing? I'm not. I'm not trying to be too sarcastic there, but no, um, I get you. You know, yeah. that's the argument. Is like, can we? Can we? Can we, as a county, do something where we open this up a little bit, or would you say, nope, don't do that? Well, I think that's exactly what we're trying to figure out right now is, you know, I even look at the state case numbers and, uh, you know, last last week we were in the 180s. Every day we were getting 180 or so new cases at the state. Then over the weekend it was in the 120s and then it went down to Monday. I think it was in like the upper 80s. And then uh, by today now we're back up to the 160s. So I think, you know, we just aren't really sure yet and we have to think about, what has to be in place for us to open things back up? And then how does that need to look? Do we just go wide open? No, I don't think that's a good strategy. How do we make sure that, um, you know, we are all kind of stuck in our houses here and we don't want to wide open everything and, and then, um, you know, we're going to want to get out and, and bop around and be back to normal and uh, we just can't go there yet. It's going to be a little while before we can do that. So we sort of beg for patience and say, yep, our numbers are really good, but we also look at our tri-state area. We look at Alamakee County in Iowa. We look at Minnesota counties that are near us. And while Houston's doing really well, Winona's been struggling. Um, so I think we have to just be realistic knowing that once we open things back up, we do travel a lot. We move around. We have college students that routinely hang out in Winona and vice versa. Um, so we just have to remember that there are a lot of aspects to this and we've got to be strategic. Uh, okay, so the, you mentioned Winona, Winona County. How much did you, did you talk to them at all today, or, or maybe the, in the last twenty four hours about their twenty one new cases? Well, what I do know is that they have um, some of their cases have been in a long term care facility. So that's you know that's the other piece is that at any given point. You know, we know that we could have uh, a surge of cases with an outbreak in a certain facility, for example. So we've had um, several businesses in our own community that we've, you know, been working really hard with those businesses to keep numbers down. Um, you know, folks in our community know, know you know, we've talked before about, um, you know, places like Train, and they've done a really good job um, of trying to shut down uh, plants and, and clean things and really working really hard with us, and now they're doing strong active monitoring. I just want to give a shout-out to Train because they are uh, they are doing what they need to be doing, and I'm really grateful for that. That's making a big difference. And we had, um, you know, I, I wanted to say that we averted a, a pretty big potential challenge here with, um, because our long-term care facilities have been shut down for quite some time, I know that's tough for those of us that want to go visit our loved ones, but we had a situation recently where someone went to to visit their loved one. They had just traveled. They couldn't get in because of the lockdown procedures, and then they tested positive. And if we wouldn't have those procedures in place, we would have situations like other counties are seeing where, um, you know, we get an outbreak in a long-term care facility, for example. So, all the things that we're doing are really making a difference, and it's just tough to think through when we are preventing cases, um, then it seems like we can just go back to um, to normal and we can release uh, a lot of the, the 
more stringent criteria we have in place, um, but it is making a big difference. And I just want folks to know that what they're doing is making a big difference. So, Jen, something that I look at when I've been in here working with Rick, something that I reference every day is our local coronavirus updates, which you guys post on your website. It's easy to find and it's really easy to to access and, and inform myself every day. And I see that we have no new cases, as you've talked about, but it says here that we have just over 1,300 negative test results. Is that just lacrosse? And if so, is that kind of par for the course, the number of tests for a city this size? Have we been testing way more than other cities? Are we less? Like, like how does lacrosse compare to other comparable cities with testing? Because I feel like that's what I've heard is we're doing such a great job. 1,300 seems like a lot to me. Is that a lot or is that kind of what everybody else is doing as well? Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I have not looked specifically at other counties around us, um, but I but I think, you know, what I have looked at is the number of positives to the total number of tests completed. And so in our county, ours is like under 3%, and the state level is more than double that. Um, so we, we definitely know that um, we are testing a little bit more broadly here, but not exceedingly more broadly than like the State Lab of Hygiene, for example, um, which is the public lab. Um, that many entities use. So uh, I think that we need to get a little bit of a better handle on how much testing we are doing. Can we open it up to be a little bit more broad even than we are now? Um, I don't think we're exceedingly broad. Um, and there's a conversation that we're going to be having with our healthcare partners coming up here to have that exact conversation. Because um, I think part of getting back to um, beyond safer at home order is making sure we have testing capacity um, to assure that we know who in our community really needs to be in quarantine or isolation. That seems to be the the problem through at least throughout the U.S. is from what I hear, you know, especially in those really hot areas. But the the testing supplies are down, and and you got to be a little bit stringent with who you test. You got to be picky. I mean, you know, you you go through the checklist before you actually have someone come through the drive through testing area. Is, is our testing supplies here really good and we don't have to worry and you can be a little bit more aloof with who you test or is, is it still kind of a, uh, you know, a problem? So it's, it's, it's actually neither. Um, they're not really good, nor is it a, 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 an extreme concern right now. So I think we're in an okay spot for the criteria that we're testing for here in our community. Um, but again, as soon as we open that up, then uh, we go back into having challenges with the capacity, the testing um, supplies that are necessary. Um, so I don't have a real good feel for that right now, and that's part of that conversation with healthcare providers because even at a national level, we're hearing that you know, the, the number of tests being done is down by like 30%, yet commercial labs are, are not saying that, you know, they're saying we're not sitting here with unused testing capacity just waiting for samples to come in. Um, so I'm not sure where that disconnect is, but we're going to get a better handle on that really soon within our own community to know um, how do we know when um, we can start testing more um, and not overwhelm the testing capacity that we have. Are we still at a point where somebody gets a test and it's about a day before we know they know whether or not they've been, you know, they, they have the virus? Yeah, I think in general it's about 24 hours. Um, it can be a little longer. It just depends upon um, the time that it's submitted. If there's a big surge, for example, in the number of tests that are done on a given day, it can take a little bit longer. But generally we're still saying 24 to 48 hours. And then with, with testing, you know, we talk about we are always talking about how is life going to get back to normal, and I I don't see that until we have a a cure, at least a vaccine, a cure, at least treatment. 
Um, but before we even get there, if we if we had a situation where we could just test everybody and get um, you know near immediate results, or you get tested and a half hour later you're good to go, um, it, would there be a point there? Is there any talk of of having a more efficient test that that is also accurate? You know, I think by by the day um, there are there's a lot of work happening nationally, including in our own backyard in Rochester with Mayo and beyond. Um, where labs and facilities are trying to come up with um, a quicker test, a better test, um, even screening procedures. So I saw something today um, about Abbott Labs um, at the national level that are working to develop a screening test, and they and they could tell you if you've ever had um, coronavirus in the past. So there's a lot of work being done right now, and I think you know because. We're on. This is such a, a short time frame from the time when we got our first cases, you know, even nationally, to when we're expecting people to have answers about new testing capacities. Things could be done more quickly. Things that we can do at home. It's just not enough time, really, um, for for those things to be developed in a, in an appropriate way. Um, so by the day, new information is coming out about testing processes. But I think you know what this gets to is that with this next phase, whenever the safer at home order comes off for Wisconsin, you know we we just have to stick with our new normal, which is social distancing, because we don't have a treatment, we don't have um, you know wide open testing capacity, and we've got to be remembering that the six foot rule is in place and. We need to not be congregating, even if we don't have to have the rule of, you know, essential travel only. Um, we're going to have to rely on each other to be making good choices um, and, and making sure that we're washing hands and, and doing all those things we know, because in the absence of a vaccine or any treatment, it comes back to these non-pharmaceutical interventions, which are, you know, the social distancing and the washing the hands and not touching your face and wearing the face coverings. Um, that that is going to be our treatment protocol until we get something better. Yeah, it's hard to do that. It's hard to like have this patience. We live in this society of needing instant gratification. If uh, you know, if a if a game happens, you know, it, it, like the Super Bowl happens, we all we immediately want to hear and read commentary on it. If if Donald Trump says something, you know, at his coronavirus updates each day, we immediately want to read and hear, you know, the 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 comeback from whatever he said. And, and so we want like we want immediate, you know, we want testing and we also want immediate gratification, whether or not, you know, we're good to go with the testing. We want it, you know, 10 minutes later. So uh, I think we just live in an impatient society, Jen. You know, and I, I think we are used to that. And technology brings us that potential with many topics. But with science, you know, science and evidence is not as speedy and should not be as speedy. It needs to be. Um, you know, well done. Um, we don't want to be having tests that are, you know, widely used that we turn out, turn out to be inaccurate, for example. So it is this balance of being patient enough, um, knowing that everybody's working as fast and as hard as possible. We all want to get back to normal life, but normal life after the safer at home order is not going to be the same as normal life before COVID-19. Um, so I just encourage folks to remember that. And we're all going to have to use our, our, you know, our patience levels and whatever, whatever amount we have stored up because um, human behavior kind of gets in the way with wanting to just go back to normal. Um, and, and we just have to remember we're going to get a lot more cases if we're not doing the, the right things like social distancing. Last question, Jen. Jen Rabalski, La Crosse County Health Department. The, 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 the biggest thing you get, you know, when it comes to the public, hey, Jen, what is, you know, what is the biggest question you get that you, you feel yourself answering over and over again, and then now I'm going to make you answer it one more time? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think I think it really comes back to the case numbers. Um, you know, we get a lot of varying questions. You know, from all kinds of uh, aspects of this. Um, we have a lot of really intelligent people in our community and people asking good questions. Um, but I think, and I think it comes back to the case numbers. And uh, I just want to remind folks that case numbers don't tell the whole story. You know, it isn't just about how many cases in La Crosse County and how many cases in the state of Wisconsin. It's also about um, how many cases in Winona County and how many cases in the tri-state area and how many cases on the east and west coast. Because, again, as we move out of safer-at-home orders, um, people are going to go back to traveling. Uh, we just can't do that yet. So we've got to remain patient. Um, I just can't stress it enough. It's so important. And, and it doesn't come from a place of wanting to control. It comes from a place of knowing that that's going to equate to more cases and spikes um, and, and we want to make sure that all the energy we put into being at home and not being with our family isn't something that goes to waste. All right, Jen Rabalski, LaCrosse County Health Department Director. Thanks for calling in and answering some questions. You bet. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Uh, we'll be back after this right here on Wisdom. All right. Welcome back to LaCrosse Talk PM. Kind of a whirlwind of a show. Lacrosse Congressman Ron Kine, Jim Rabalski. If you want to listen to that, go to wisdomnews.com slash podcast. I think singular. I'm going to do it right now. But while we do that, Eric from Sparta has been waiting patiently on the phone. Eric, you're on Lacrosse Talk PM. Go ahead. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, uh, how come you let anybody or uh, callers ask okay, Ron thanks, Eric. or uh, the other uh, lady, uh, Rabalski, well, any questions at all? <sighs> Uh, because we're talking to them on the phone, and then you're on the phone, and it's difficult. But did you have a oh, question? What was your question? Have. Yeah, do you have, what's your question, Eric? Did you have a question uh, for her? Hey, how come Ron Kind and Ron Balski and the county and your mayor do not provide masks for the population? Because the airborne disease, that's the fastest way you're going to get it. All right. Uh, imagine that. Eric's complaining about masks. He's, he's still on about masks. I, I mean, I would... Look, we don't have enough masks for healthcare workers right now. Like that's the struggle, right? We're having healthcare workers who are having to make their own masks. Yeah, so I, I'm sure there's many details to that answer financially and talking about how many masks are actually available and the global supply chain has been disrupted. So it's a very complicated answer. We've had we there are stories out there of healthcare workers having like sewing camps where they're just making masks instead of yeah. doing healthcare work. And even even in town here there's a there's a facebook group called like the lacrosse the cooley region sewing community or something like that where they're making masks my neighbor is making masks all the time and she's given me to so uh yeah i guess I, I think if you needed a mask you could probably get on get on a message board somewhere and, and find one yeah but. and and i bet what jen would tell you is just if you can stay inside that way you don't need a mask right like we're but all this focus has been put on masks 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 but the, but the whole idea still remains stay inside so you don't need a mask, right? And I think we've misconstrued that message a little bit. But have, yeah, we can, we don't have enough masks for healthcare employees, right? That they come first. So I'm I'm okay with staying inside and, and not having a mask. I, I'm wondering at what point do you know when you go to the grocery store or to the gas station and have to go inside, do you start feeling guilty for not wearing a mask? Because I would say it's about fifty fifty when I went to Woodman's the other day of people with and without masks on. And I was like, do I, should I be wearing a mask? And I'm like, no, they're not. And I, uh, okay, I feel okay that I'm not wearing a mask. But also all the health, all the like, all the people stocking shelves and the people at the cash registers, they're behind plexiglass, they're wearing masks. So then I, then I do start to feel bad. Like, okay, well, 
you know, as long as I don't have a mask on, maybe I should protect them because maybe I'm asymptomatic. It's it's kind of it's getting to the point where I'm you might st- start feeling uncomfortable by not wearing a mask. So I understand Eric, your dilemma in in the idea that we should all be wearing masks, but it's the only thing you ever ask every day of the week. So it just get, it gets kind of frustrating. It's it's a question that unfortunately Eric doesn't like have a great answer. If we had enough masks to provide everyone with masks, then we would do it right but we don't so we're not that's the was that not the most basic way to answer a question that almost felt demeaning the way i just put it but eric you you get what i'm trying to say yeah it's uh wear a mask go go to the store and buy a mask or don't go to the store because you don't have a mask there's the the dilemma all right so i thought i thought we did good with congressman ron kind i i wanted i i really bit my tongue on talking to him about universal health care uh we did we did talk a little bit about having that conversation after this dilemma where paid sick leave is a universal thing where everybody has paid sick leave instead of like, oh, there's a global pandemic. Maybe we should think about giving people paid sick leave because they might be sick. Um, so and, and, and obviously he had a pretty good answer for us. And I think he I think he had I think we threw him through the ringer a little bit, which was kind of fun. It's always kind of fun to do that to a congressman. Right. We got we got a text or two um, from a couple listeners who were conservative, admittedly. And they're like, you know what? We might not always agree with everything he said, but, you know, he represents us well. And that's definitely the vibe I got from Congressman Kind today as well. That was a really great interview. And Rick, you did a great job. You covered a lot of different topics there. Well done. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. And I think uh, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, he's been around so long because because A, he can answer those questions, and B, he's he's walks the line a little bit, a bipartisan line, where he's got he, he's got a good answer for the right and the left. All right, that's going to do it tomorrow. Keith Knudsen, Viterbo political science professor, and maybe we'll get into some Biden stuff.